You are the brave red pioneers of Mars. You do what we could not do. You suffer so that others will flourish. Always remember that obedience is the highest virtue. Investigators are focusing in on terrorist group the Sons of Ares, who's believed to be behind the bombing that claimed the lives of an entire mining crew and technician group yesterday. But with winter well on the way, the drafters have a new favorite emerging. Darrow Al Andromedus and fellow House Dregs, the Howlers, led a punishing assault on Pat Al Telemannus and House Minerva today. We'll break it all down for you, coming up next. You're of use because you're more than a weapon. When your wife died, she didn't just give you a vendetta. She gave you her dream. You're its keeper. Welcome to Hail Reaper. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 8 of Hail Reaper. My name is Philip and I'm with my good friend Jeremy. What's up, man? Just finished uh, churning some butter. Churning some butter? Yes. Nice. Hey, Tim, how are you doing, man? I'm good. You're good. Cool. Tim <laughs> is off mic as usual, but he's just chilling, drinking some coffee. So today is episode 8, all about Adrius Augustus or the Jackal or Lucian, however you want to call him. It's exciting stuff. Yeah, I'm actually like, super <laughs> pumped on this because um, as I'm doing prep for this episode, I just found myself getting more and more excited. And I was like, why? This feels wrong to be excited about a character that I hate so much throughout the story. And I'm, but, but excitement for pure evil. <laughs> <laughs> he's so fun to talk about though. And it's at the same time, because he's so unique to the story. So different than so, so different than any other character that we've encountered at this point. And I think that I do want to just kind of start by appreciating him. I know that I'm guessing that a lot of people turn this episode on. They're expecting us to talk about how gross and crazy and evil he is. <laughs> we're not going to do that for a while, actually. We're going to kind of take a, uh, we're going to zig while everyone's zagging. He is those things though. Just for, for sure. For oh, the yeah. record. Yeah. Let's state it right now. <laughs> we're not going to like be like, yeah, he's great. He's fun. Um, <laughs> by no means. So I do want to talk about like a character that he reminds me of that is from a completely different series, but one that most people are familiar with. I kind of find him to be a lot like Darth Vader. Okay. And I know that sounds wild to say, because they are, if you on face value, they're nothing alike. But I told you this stat the other day that, you, okay, so all three original Star Wars movies, episode four, five, and six, they're all just barely over two hours in length. And then you have Darth Vader. You can look this up, Google it. He's only in on screen for 34 minutes of all of three. The six hour runtime. Of the six hour runtime, which is only one fourth of one movie. Mm-hmm. But he's just, and that's it. But when he's there, when he's on the screen, he dominates your thinking. He makes you afraid of what he could do because his power is, feels very limitless. And he could, he could kill any one of your favorite characters any moment. Like, think about uh, episode five when he shows up and like in Cloud City and all of a sudden they open the doors and then he just grabs, like force grabs the uh, Han's like blaster. And then you're like, he's going to kill Han. And he doesn't kill Han. But like it, he could easily have done that if he chose to do that. And you kind of feel like that power with Adrius, or excuse me, the Jackal, really feels kind of limitless because he's a character that we know nothing about. The first time you get introduced to him even is in chapter 27. It's, uh, Mustangs tells Darrow, there is a boy here like you. My proctor calls him the Jackal. He is smarter and crueler and stronger than you. And he will win this game and make us slaves if the rest of us go about acting like animals. 
like right there, like it's very Darth Vader-esque. Like he's not even on the screen, but he's mentioned. And that power feels very like big and surreal. And I'm like, I'm afraid. Like, I'm like, <laughs> what is this character? Yeah, there's something uh, inhuman about Darth Vader. Yeah. I think I don't think the movie even really talks about the fact that he there is a human beneath that suit for a while. So it kind of leaves you guessing, like, does this character have any capacity for empathy? You know, yes. is is he even human at all? Sound familiar, right? With it, Adrius. It does. And and it, it's the same. I, I had the, I like that you called out Darth Vader. I think that's a great call out. Um, the thing that I walked away with feeling um, about this was actually like the ring race. Uh, from Fellowship of the Ring and, and the subsequent uh, books as well. But you have this kind of, again, this inhuman kind of ghostly entity, yes. you know, that that doesn't show up very often, but just stalks them yeah. and, and just kind of follows them. And it has this singular goal of just getting the, the ring. That's it. Basically, it, it cares about nothing else. You know, it doesn't have malice or hatred, but it also has zero empathy, zero compassion, zero mm-hmm. anything except for this singular goal. And when you hear these rumors and this, these murmurings of the Jackal. Yeah. Through, uh, through Mustang, through Fitchner, and that's really about it. And then through Lilith, we'll talk about later. It's, it's that same kind of takeaway. It's, it's that ring wraith S kind of thing or yes. the Darth Vader kind of thing. Yeah. Good call. Out. So again, like the, here's the, here's my kind of to complete my Darth Vader thing. Here's why I think he's like Darth Vader in this sense. Adrius is only in the book for two chapters. I mean, we have the, these reference points and these touchstones from him from other characters, but when he's physically available to you, it's just two chapters, chapter 40 and 41. So let's talk about kind of like the, the interesting thing about this, like the most interesting thing to me about Adrius is that he really isn't just a singular character. He's three different characters kind of at once. He plays the role of the jackal, which is, again, like you kind of talk about like the specter, like the ring wraith, kind of like the ghost kind of in the woods. And we hear about kind of the lore of him through other people. And then we finally get like, I guess, confirmation of that through Severo around that campfire and kind of almost how he earned the nickname. It's by eating other kids, uh, you know, and which is, oh, man, this is crazy. It's not um, a good thing. No, not yeah. <laughs> it's just saying it out loud sounds weird and wrong. And then you have that role of Lucian, who is just like. It's just, it is Adrius, but he's like masterclass acting, you know, he's disguising himself in plain sight to like, you know, be someone completely different than who he is. Like, think about Lucien and think about uh, the character he's portraying in Adrius. Those two people are not like one person. Like, it feels like they're completely separate. And then finally, we go to like the Adrius, like Adrius Al Augustus, you know, the full-blown all, all like version of himself, which is completely him. But it's this prim, proper, highfalutin kind of like rich kid. Yeah. And that's like really wild that you have all three of these kind of entities or personalities just in this one character that Pierce created. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, when I think about the three of them, uh, I kind of gravitate toward the Jackal. Yeah. And that's what I was going to ask you. I'm sorry. The, the most compelling version of this to you is the Jackal, correct? It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Because there's just something terrifying and something fun about that. I mean, you know, we like these villains in these movies, these mm-hmm. ring wraiths, the, you know, they, they I had like, but they were intrigued, I guess. Right. Or, com- yeah, well, or compelled by, I them. guess we, we appreciate what they bring to the story. You know, yeah. they, they add this excitement level of, yes. of not knowing what's next, you yes. know? And, and he does the same thing. Like it's this uncertainty to the story. We don't know who he is or what he's going to do. We don't even know his motives. Mm. And, and that's great. I mean, um, you know, you, 
Lucian is is fun. Uh, he's, he, yeah, he's a great actor, I guess. Good hang, know? good hang time for some grape juice action. Yeah, drinking grape juice with him, <laughs> yeah, acting drunk. But uh, you know, uh, Adrius himself was—I uh, don't want to say like a letdown necessarily, mm. but I a little bit. Like he's still plenty psychotic uh, yeah. for all of us, but not quite as scary to me as the unknown was. I was like blown away when you first told me this. Like we had this conversation a long time ago because you just finished Red Rising and I was like, hey, what about Adrius? You're like, you're, you're like, I'm kind of disappointed. And I'm like, how are you disappointed by this character? It's like, he's nuts. And it's, you said that that version of like the most compelling version of this character is the one that is just kind of lurking and hiding. And you're not sure, like, I guess, like Darth Vader, like a ring wraith, when you turn the page, what's going to happen? Is he going to be there? Is he going to be like in your face and doing something crazy? But that it's like keeping you on that. Pierce is keeping you on that string with the jackal, which makes it more terrifying because the fear that you don't know is always going to be scarier than the one that you can like see right in yeah, front of 100%. you. And so and that, that's why he's such an interesting character to talk about. But if I'm going to ask myself the same question, who's the most like interesting, compelling uh, version of, of, the, of this guy? It's to me, it's Atreus. And I want to talk about that like a little bit more later. I do want to circle back with the Jackal thing. But the reason why I think that he's the most compelling to me is that he it's such a surprise for one. But also, they share, Darrow and Adrius share a lot of similarities that are really wild. And I want to kind of unpack that in a second. But I want, I want to talk about Lilith. I want to go back to the Jackal one more time <laughs> and talk about Lilith. Because for you know we, we hear the whispers of who the Jackal is. But we never see him. We, we we hear about his stories, which are, you know, eating kids. But we never, still, we never see it in motion. It's off, completely off our page. The embodiment of the jackal really is Lilith when she comes to deliver the hollow cube. I know you have, this is, you said that she's the most terrifying person in the entire story. All, the whole series is Lilith for you, yeah? It, absolutely. I fear her. She, Lilith scares the bejesus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> she... It's one thing, you know, you have like these Charles Manson characters, which which are scary, mm-hmm. right? But it, it's like, what about the followers of them? Mm. What about the ones that are 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 doing their bidding, you know? Yeah. And that's really what Lilith is. She shows up and she is empty. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to look into her eyes. I, yeah, I think there's like just be emptiness in there. A complete deadness. Like, a, yeah. like she's been, something has changed inside this person. And she's just like, Daryl kind of, I don't know what he says. But he reflects on it. He says kind of like, she used to look this way, but you can tell that's not who she is anymore. Like yeah, well, she's I, completely changed. No, exactly. And I mean, she's woven human bones into her hair. Yeah. Right. And think about that. I, you're, you're winning. You're in this competition to win respect. And your leader has, just so he doesn't lose and get uh, kind of dogged by other guys, Yeah. you know, in the future. Yeah. He has turned to eating people. Yeah. And out of necessity, air quotes, definitely huge air quotes on that. (laughs) And you're like, not only am I, am I okay with that, but I'm actually like dedicating myself to following this and I'm going to weave these humans bones into my hair. It's it's frightening. And he, and so the Jackal then earns this moniker, like again, the Jackal, that's the moniker he earns because that's kind of what that animal would do. If its leg gets caught in a trap, it's, it's willing, it's, it's will from willingness to chew its own leg off is like, there like not like any many other animals they're just like oh like my leg is stuck i'll probably die a jackal is like my leg is stuck i'm just gonna take it off Mm -hmm. and that's who this character is um yeah so i want to circle back to 
what we were talking about with Adrius and kind of like how I appreciate this character or I'm the most compelled by this version of this character. And it's because on some weird level, if you do love Darrow, I think you have to at least appreciate components of the Jackal. They do not align in a lot of ways, right? They're that you said empathy earlier, like they have zero, like the Jackal or Adrius has zero empathy and Darrow has a lot of that. And he develops even more over the time. He has love, he has appreciation. He's, uh, he is obsessed with winning, but he has a cost and a price at certain points, you know, and those are his friends or his, or his people. That is not, Jackal has no limits within that, like none. He's just like, I will give you anything you want if I can win. But here, I want to read you a list of adjectives that I find that they share qualities in. And you tell me if you want, add, add some if you would like. Okay, here we go. So both Darrow and Adrius are strategically brilliant. They're both creative. They're both very comfortable with violence. They're both influential. They're both good leaders or in, within their own right, you know, their own sure. like, house. Um, they're, they're great with words and they're both a force of nature. And you look at the story and you just look at that. It's a short list, but no one else can really be sharing those things. Like they don't, they don't have commonality. Like what, here are the candidates. Like the other candidates would be Mustang, Severo, Cassius. and Cassius. And that's about it. So let's go down that list. Cassius, strategically, strategically brilliant, like in creative. Like no. he's, odd, he's, he's off a five-book guy. He's off the list. Um, Severo, I mean, there's a lot of these things, but I wouldn't say he's necessarily a leader fully. And I, I wouldn't say that he's necessarily uh, strategically brilliant, but definitely, he's definitely like a lot of other things. And then you finally have... He is great with words. Yeah, certain words, for sure. <laughs> but yeah, and that's another thing. He's not like someone who's going to stir up no. something within people. Um, so, and then you have Mustang, who I don't think is totally comfortable with violence. Like, it's noted that Pierce Brown notes a few times that her only weapon that she really uses is the standard. It's not like she's not using like a bow and arrow often when they're in battle. She's not using a sword or she's using the standard. That's to change slaves into Minerva slaves to then free them later. That's like her weapon. But, and then she's not really a force of nature either. So I mean, really the only two people that can share these qualities that the story centers around is both Darrow and Aegis. They, they have this commonality between them in certain respects that is like really glaring. And even actually what you have an analogy that you like to share on this, right? Yeah, I think, you know, if you ever watch those, uh, SV, uh, what is it? Law and Order SVU. Law and Order SVU. Big, or, used to be a big fan, I should say. Or Criminal Minds is one that comes to my mind. Yeah. And, um, you know, you have these FBI profilers, you know, and they're they're building profiles of, uh, or psychological or personality profiles of kind of repeat felons or... Career criminals, yeah. Career criminals. And there's a lot of literature. I was looking it up to make sure I don't, like, step on myself here. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> But there, there's a lot of literature that would suggest that there are a lot of shared traits between law enforcement and those uh, those profiles. Career of, criminal. Of, of, yeah, yeah mm-hmm. career criminals. Now, that's not to say um, that it's an exhausting list. Yeah. That every category is, is an exact match. Like, that's not <laughs> the case whatsoever. Yeah. There's just enough overlap mm-hmm. that there's been studies and, and there is literature uh, on yeah. those things. And the same can kind of be said about what you're saying. You know, we're not saying that... that uh, that they're the exact same character, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Darrow and Adrius. But we're saying they have enough overlap that it's actually worth uh, kind of noting. And Pierce Brown even makes this like makes this comparison between the two of them. So hey, we're not. It's not just our observations that are making this case. Pierce no, Brown actually says like, "Hey, like check this out." So Fitchner actually is used as the as the character that's kind of speaks this into existence. So Fitchner's talking to Darrow, 
And at one point in the story, in the back half of the book, kind of as all this has gone down and says, you're a peculiar creature, you and the jackal both. Everybody always wants to win, but you two stand apart. Freaks. Golds won't die to win. We value our lives too much. You two don't. Like those are just like, right? There's like three big similarities. That's a hard one to say. (laughs) Uh, There's three big similarities between the two characters right within there. So I guess like the reason why I just really do appreciate the Jackal is because I appreciate Darrow so much. And I see that shared quality, that kind of back and forth, almost like tug of war between the two of them. And it's just, it's weird to say, it's kind of fun to read about, especially that scene at the table. Chapter 41 is almost entirely a singular scene where the two of them are just sitting at a table and they're just going back and forth. And it feels like the whole book is led up to this moment. And it, it just compl- it grabs all your attention. Everything else, just for me, fades into the black. And it's like, this is why we're here. We're here for this moment, this showdown. And there's going to be a result really soon that's going to take place. And of course, it's a result that none of us root for with PAX. But at the same time, it, it is completely captivating. And it's, the, it's one of the most fun things that I, I think you could read about in the whole story. And the whole dialogue goes on with a knife through his hand. Yes. Which is nuts. Yeah. Okay. So you, you told me like the other night, you were like talking about how this switch from this off on switch from Lucian to Adrius. Mm-hmm. You, you want to kind of try to explain that again? Well, you, you talked about him as uh, a thespian or as a, as a method actor, I yeah. guess, you know, the way I would think about it. And, you know, he screams out in pain when that knife goes through his hand and, and kind of freaks out. And then all of a sudden that switch that you're talking about gets flipped and he goes from, and, and I wonder if he's actually acting like he's yes. in pain. Yeah. I mean, he's so, he's such a sociopath that he's pretending to be in the pain that he should be in. And then suddenly he switches out of character yeah. and into himself. Yeah, And, he's and a- then that's when it goes away and he becomes just calm and collected. Daryl says that he makes no, he calms himself faster than anyone I've ever seen. And it's like, Oh crap. <laughs> like, yeah. you know what? like you're in for it. So, so another nutty thing about this is just imagine like, you know, your hand was, was just stabbed through and driven into a table where you can't take it out. You can't move. And, uh, you've been found out. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to do anything within your power, anything you can say, anything you can do to just become free to get away, to get out of the situation, mm-hmm. to save yourself from what seems to be certain death. And I don't, I don't actually think that, uh, that Adrius does that. Hey, I think he enjoys that conversation that they're having. Like, Too much. Yeah. He's like, he's kind of, I don't know. He's very playful in it. He's like, humans are always negotiating. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just this, like he's, this is his station. This is where he's comfortable. And he's comfortable, like not with, um, he can't out brute Darrow but he can outwit him and he can kind of use his mind and his tactics to uh, take over a situation. So for him, this is his playground and he's very comfortable here. And that's, that is a difference between the character. I know that we said they are very comfortable with violence, but at the same time, that's not the first tactic that Adrius will use. He's going to use his brain first and then he's going to try to use violence. But, and actually you see that in the scene with Pax, like just a, a few minutes later. So let's go ahead and transition to, our, our quotes here. We have three Adrius quotes. Go ahead and hit up the first one. After months in darkness, you eat whatever your mouth finds, even if it's still moving. It isn't very impressive, really. Less human than I would have liked. Very much like animals. And anyone would have done it. But dredging up my foul memories is no way to negotiate. Yeah. So this is fun because 
it's like this whole idea of like, yeah, I ate kids and I did it and I had to, whatever. But then he's just like, uh, but, you know, judging at my foul memories, it's just, it's just, again, this kind of on off switch that he's even playing with, with himself. He's kind of like, I can be the jackal. I can be this person that eats people. But also in the last sentence, but judging at my foul memories, like this snobby rich kid kind of way to say it, kind of round it out. <laughs> it's like, this guy's wild. Like he's absolutely wild. You were talking about him being a, like yeah, a, the, yeah, a this politician quote, or something like that. Yeah, this quote totally reminds me of like what a career politician would say, <laughs> where the, something comes out that just seems like the death blow to yeah. their whole career. And they're like, yeah, you know, I ate kids, but somehow by me calling it out, I'm going to be able yeah, to just if I'm, if I'm just it. honest about it, yeah. it's okay, right? Yeah. We're going to go past that. Don't For, dredge that up. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> go and read quote two. We were enemies as children. Now let us be allies as men. You're the sword. I'm the pen. This is like, I don't want to like speak to it too much because I just like to let it sit there. Cause I think that this is just iconic quote. Like it's his version of live for more. Because it, it does it does get brought up later in the story. Um, like in Golden Sun, we see this a similar quote. He actually changes the rhetoric a little bit here. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I just I just love like the I love the feeling of it. I don't know what it is about it that attracts me to this quote so much, but I just imagine this character saying it and like, let us be allies and like what are you talking about? But like I the scepter, you the sword, or I the I, you the sword, I uh, I'm the pen. Like whether way you want to say it. Yeah, for sure. I'm just gonna go on to the third one. Are you I gonna go yeah, I don't have anything else to add. Okay, gotcha. Go ahead. I thought you had something for that one. <laughs> no. Go for the third one then. I told you, I am something different than you. A hand is a peasant's tool. A gold's tool is his mind. Were you of better breeding, you may have realized the sacrifice means very little to me. You go first, because I like the way you break this down. Okay. The way I break it down is that Adrius is completely wrong on this quote in two ways. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, um, he's wrong about golds. I mean, golds definitely see a tool in, in their mind. You know, they, they certainly see themselves as superior beings yeah. that able to rationale and reason and, and do, you know, math and the whole works, you know, yeah. they, they make plenty of references to all that. But to say that a hand is a peasant's tool is not necessarily true of gold. Mm-hmm. And you have all. to remember that they defend their family's honor with a razor and dueling each other. Yeah. Say that to Cassius and see what he says. Right. Yeah. He's like, yeah, I, I need this hand. <laughs> I'm not going to give it up yeah, for sure. And, you know, Adrius doesn't replace his hand. Mm -hmm. I mean, he really actually believes this and doesn't care about it. But I just don't think that's really consistent. Um, Not with, like, everything we know about gold, by no means. No, no, not at all. And then the second thing he's wrong in is that he says that, um, you know, that that Darrow is different. Mm -hmm. And I told you I'm something different than you. Yeah, exactly. I don't think he is. I think that Darrow would absolutely in a second sacrifice his own hand to bring the red culture out of uh, yeah out of the mines yeah he he would give up a lot and he shows that time and time again that he's willing to sacrifice and he he's put in a position where he has to make those sacrifices and they tear him apart but he still knows he's willing to do it so yeah he would he would take off his hand if he had to Mm -hmm. in the same situation but jackal wants to feel superior over him he wants to show him i guess in a way it's it's his way of kind of mentally dominating the situation and that's what this character is all about it's all about domination it's all about like that ring wraith thing you mentioned earlier like this singular focus of goal of getting that ring or for him winning the institute there's no cost that's too high to win the institute so this hand is just like that if it's just to him he's like this is just a hand he's not saying that i don't think he maybe even fully believes it but he says it 
to Darrow to make him completely freaked out. And there's a thing I actually want to just kind of make a note on this. There's a moment where he's sawing the hand off with like that blunt oh. sword. And then uh, he looks up at Darrow and smiles. And Darrow notes, I can't, I'm paraphrasing. He looks up at me, looks up at me with a completely sane smile, letting me know he's completely insane. <laughs> that's just, that's the jackal. Like that's Adris. That's all, like that's Lucian. That's everything. That's all you need to know. This guy is nuts. He's like, he's off. He's there's something in his brain that is completely off, and he is so like exclusively nuts, but also exclusively hell bent on winning. That the hand is just like the sacrifice. We have, I want to do two things before we wrap up. Okay. Go and give your thoughts, your kind of final thoughts on Adrius, and I have one more thing before we we wrap up. Okay. Yeah, I think you know you kind of pointed out their similar. You started by pointing out their similarities, and we've kind of drawn that out of this episode. And what's interesting is a lot of people, I think, would actually consider Adrius to be the antagonist of the story. Yeah. Um, but when you have an antagonist, that person is diametrically opposed to your protagonist. And we don't actually see that with Adrius. Mm-hmm. Like, he's not trying to keep gold society prominent. He's not trying to keep red down. Like, Adrius is just self-serving and... He's just doing whatever he has to do to stay on top and to win. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of like works on the side. I, I don't actually think he would care about gold society as a whole, as long as he sits on the throne of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so you really don't have that kind of necessary clash that I'm trying to work directly against you. Yeah. And and you see it um, Darrow like a couple just, times. Darrow just gets in his way, essentially. And that's what it is. So, yeah, I mean, he's even willing to work with Darrow a couple times. Yeah, he offers him, yo, what's, hey, uh, you're the sword and I'm the pen. Let's get out of here and let's go be homies. Yeah. Like, he actually gives him a, a true offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, we don't know if that offer is sincere. But, I mean, it kind I, of... I would speculate it is. Yeah. I mean, just, it, it works with his character. Yeah, because he can use Darrow as his the, the brute force that Darrow can bring. And he can just be the mastermind behind it all. And he can just use him as like his bodyguard or his kind of weapon, essentially. Yeah, so where, where you have Octavia Alun and then just society as a whole that are the real protagonists of the story that are actually... Antagonists, yeah. I'm sorry, antagonists yeah. of the story where they're actually opposed to what Darrow is trying to do. Yes. Um, we don't see that in Adrius. So I think he actually serves the better purpose as a literary foil yeah. in this situation than, than an antagonist. Yeah, I think the gold machine is much more the antagonist of the story rather than just Adrius. You To pin it all on him, I think that's a disservice. Even though, again, you have these beats of a, a normal, like, you know, that moment where they're converging at that table and the knife goes to the hand and you have this back and forth between the villain and the hero, right? It feels like it's set up to be that, like that you have an antagonist and protagonist. But really, again, it's it's more of a foil than it is mm-hmm. anything else. And I, 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 like, it's weird because I think a lot of people probably thought we we're going to approach this episode in a way like, he's a bad guy, he's the villain, <laughs> he's the worst, and blah, blah. I'm like, hey, he's pretty interesting, and uh, he's really weird. And, and also, at the same time, he's not really the true villain of the story. It's more Octavia- and the, as the figurehead of the entire gold society. Yeah. So let's go ahead and do this one. We did this last week. We're going to do it again. We're going to read our five-star review because we want to give shout-outs to our guys uh, right. and girls. Uh, so this is Mike. Mike wrote us a five-star review, and thank you so much, bro. I appreciate this a lot. Uh, he says, these guys bring it. Their production quality, shout-out to Tim, is up there with the best of them, making you feel like you've been dropped into the story. I really think... Uh, uh-uh. I really like the character by character approach and the thoughtful analysis by both uh, that both hosts bring to the episode. B 
Being a massive Red Rising fan, listening to the pod lets me relive some of the best moments in the book, rediscovering details I've missed and connect with the community that's still underrepresented in the fandoms. Consider this my how, Hail Reaper. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. That was really cool. I really appreciate that, man. Uh, I know Jeremy does too, and same with Tim. We wanted to also highlight him because he is also one of our patrons. And so- Yes, thank you, Mike. Yeah, thank you, Mike. I don't, uh, you, if you can join Patreon too. It's just one buck a month. You get to uh, kind of hang out with us a little bit more. We're really active on our Patreon page. So if you message us or email us there, we're there. We're very present there. But also, you get to uh, get exclusive content in the form of a single episode each month that we do that's very different from our normal feed. And secondly, uh, we once we get enough patrons, we want you guys to control what those episodes will be about. Like you'll vote on them and we'll like bring it up. So if you like have something you want to talk about, like you can present it to us and we can be like, cool, let's consider it and maybe we'll do a full episode on it. Anything you want to add to that? Yeah, if you guys want to check that out, um, there is some information, some kind of listing of what the benefits will be uh, at both the $1 and the $5 tier. And you can find that at patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. And with that being said, Hail Reaper. Hail Reaper. Thanks to Pierce Brown for writing the beloved Red Rising series. A special thanks to Tim, our engineer and sound designer. Check out his music on Spotify by looking for the link in our podcast description. And thanks to all our contributors who made this show possible. If you enjoy what you hear, please take a moment to rate and review us on your respective podcast platforms. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube at Hail Reaper Pod, and you can email us at hailreaperpod at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, please take a look on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash Hail Reaper. Until next time, for my co-host Philip, I'm Jeremy. Thanks for listening. <laughs>